just to let you know, we don't have a class next week. Uh, there's the vow renewal ceremony. So no class next week. Let's pray as we get started. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. And we acknowledge that we're weak and dependent upon you. And we acknowledge that we need chaperones when we uh, pick up your word, when we read your word, because we can come up with some crazy conclusions, which we'll see tonight. So we thank you for the local church community that helps us as we read and interpret scripture. We thank you for the church universal, for church history, those who've gone before us. Uh, We need the creeds and councils, Lord, to set parameters so that we... uh, Don't do, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, don't go beyond what is written. We don't want to go beyond what is written. And so we need uh, your spirit to help us. We need the church. And so help us tonight as we uh, look again at the apologist and help us to learn from them and be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our study with the apologist. Recall from the last several classes that in the 2nd and 3rd century, the Uh, church was being accused of four main things by uh, Roman authorities and by the Roman culture. Uh, They're atheistic, they're antisocial, they're cannibals, and they practice incest. And as we saw last time, too, there were also problems inside the church. All of that was happening outside the church. There were also problems inside the church because false teaching was creeping into the church. And Last time we looked at Justin Martyr and Tertullian and how they, along with the second century church, confronted and exposed the heretic Marcion. I'm not sure if there's any more handouts, extra handouts. There we go. So we looked at them and how they exposed and and, uh, confronted the heretic Marcion. Tonight we're going to look at another heresy that was very rampant in the second and third centuries. We're going to look at the heresy of Gnosticism. And to do that, we need to go back in time in our little time machine and see what was happening around 180 A.D. Obviously, there are problems outside the church, persecutions, suffering, accusations, and charges brought against the church. But tonight, we're going to be looking at what was happening inside the church. And we're going to be looking at one of the gentlemen who was one of the greatest thinkers Irenaeus, one of the apologists, was a pastor of a church in Léon, France. And Irenaeus sat under the ministry of Polycarp, if you remember him. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna, who was martyred in 156 AD. So Irenaeus uh, was a disciple of Polycarp. And Irenaeus dealt with heresies, Irenaeus and others, uh, dealt with heresies that were floating around within the church at this time. Not only did he combat the heresy of Gnosticism that we're going to spend all of our time on tonight, uh, he also challenged the heretic uh, Valentinus. Uh, Valentinus and his followers, known as the Valentinians, they were kind of like an offshoot of Gnosticism that we're looking at tonight. They considered themselves as the enlightened ones who possessed a special knowledge. They believed that there were three kinds of people in the world. There were the spiritual people. That's who they were. They were the insouled. They were Christians who lacked the special enlightenment that only they had. And then there were the earthly people, the non-Christians. And the Valentinians were really just another branch of Gnosticism. And they remind us that you had to be careful when you meet a group of people who may, may or may not be Christians. But you meet a group of people who claim to have all the answers and there are always groups like that in Christendom. Or people who, who, let, who put people into groups like spiritual Christians or carnal Christians. Listen, there are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who are in Christ or those who are in Adam, still dead in their sins. You're either a Christian or you aren't. There are not layers or degrees or categories of believers. And so to combat... All of the nonsense and all of the heresies that were spreading throughout the church, Irenaeus wrote several books. In fact, he wrote a five-volume set combating the heresy of Gnosticism. It was that much of a problem. It called for five volumes. Irenaeus said this about the Gnostics. He said, the Gnostics are wolves in sheep's clothing. Such men are, to outward appearance, sheep. 
For they appear to be like us by what they say in public, repeating the same words as we do, but inwardly they are wolves. They are like those who mix up a poison and pass it off as a refreshing drink. So what is Gnosticism? Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, that the G is silent there when they come together. Gnosis, which means knowledge. And so Gnostics taught that salvation was based on this secret knowledge that you had to get. And guess who were the only people on the planet who had this secret knowledge? It was the Gnostics. Very convenient, right? And so these people began popping up at Irenaeus' church and many others from Rome to France to Asia, all throughout Asia Minor. But you wouldn't recognize them based on what they were wearing or what they said because Gnostics looked and talked just like Christians. They used the Bible. They talked with a Christian vocabulary. And they were creeping into churches and slowly spreading their heresies. So imagine this scene. You're at church one day and you notice this guy who's been attending for a few weeks. And you don't really know him, but you start up a conversation with him one day after church. And he says, hey, let's get together this week and and get to know one another better. Let's meet at Starbucks. And so you go. And so you're both sitting there because it's in the fall and you're drinking your venti pumpkin spice lattes. And he says to you, how long have you been at Irenaeus's, Irenaeus's church? And you tell him, and he says, listen, I've got to be honest with you. Irenaeus is not telling you everything. He's holding back. He's not presenting all the truth. Now let me explain. I know he talks about Jesus, and he's preaching from the Bible, but there's actually more. And here's what this Gnostic would have told you as he explained his theology and his beliefs as found in Gnosticism. And keep in mind, this is going through all the churches. The Christian bookstores, if you will, you know, they sometimes had bad books that sell a lot. You would have those books there. Well, like we talked about in the sermon this morning. You think it's crazy that people confess their sins to plants? What you learn about the what you'll learn about the Gnostics tonight is you'll realize, wow, Christians fall for all kinds of crazy ideas because they move away from the Bible or they don't study and find out. So here's what uh, Gnosticism was peddling uh, throughout the churches. There is one supreme God overall. He is the Father. He is supreme over everything in the universe. The Father. And he has nothing to do with this material world or anything physical. And because this God, the Father, is so transcendent and not of this world, we actually can't even know him. He's completely unknown. He's out there. He's unknowable. In fact, his name is Bethus. Bethus is the Greek word for deep. The Father is very deep. He's very profound. And Bethus, starting to get crazy here, Bethus emits from himself these uh, beings that are called uh, aeons or eons. He emits these eons from himself, and these beings that emit from himself, these aeons, were given names that came right from the Bible, like Christ and Logos and Jesus and Savior and Sophia. And according to the Gnostics, one day, one of these little eons named Sophia got this wild-haired, crazy idea that she could actually get to know the Father, that she could actually know Bethus. She had the audacity, according to the Gnostics, to think that this otherworldly, unknowable, transcendent God could be known by her. And so they would say, the nerve of Sophia. And through this process of trying trying to get to know the Father, trying to get to know Bethus, Sophia then gives birth to an entity called the Demiurge. Told you it's getting weird. They got weird names. She gives birth to the Demiurge, not the Demogorgon from Stranger Things. 
And where does this name, the Demiurge, come from? It comes from the Greek word demiurgos, which means maker or creator or former or framer. And the Demiurge receives this name because in their thinking, he is the one who created the universe. He created the physical world that we live in. So the Demiurge is the spiritual being who creates earth and the heavens. So God the Father, Bethus, gives, uh, emits forth himself aeons. One of them is Sophia. Through the process of no, trying to know the Father, she gives birth to the Demiurge. And like all children, the Demiurge has characteristics of his mother, Sophia. He inherited the faults of his mother, Sophia. Sin, pride, arrogance, evil. And since the Demiurge created the physical world, then the world is a world of sin and pride and arrogance and evil. Now, notice the contrast here in Gnosticism. The father is spiritual. He is otherworldly. And the world as we know it is physical and material. This is the key to understanding the heresy of Gnosticism as it was creeping into the churches in the second and third centuries. Gnosticism pushed and peddled what we understand as dualism. Dualism teaches that there are two completely opposed structures. Dualism is the belief that some things are positive and some things are negative. And so dualism gives a a good and positive value to some things and then a bad, evil, negative value to other things. So in Gnosticism, the heavenly spiritual realm was good. Anything that had to do with the heavenly spiritual realm, where Bethus was, that was all good. But anything that had to do with this world that we live in was bad. And so trees are bad, and lakes are bad, and dirt is bad, and flowers are bad, and cows are bad, and potholes are bad. Well, they're probably right about that, aren't they? And barking dogs and snoring roommates and roundabouts and flesh and eyeballs and fingernails. All of these things were not good because they belonged to this physical world. Anything that was material that belonged to this world was bad. But anything that was spiritual was good. And all of this stems from the belief the Gnostics had is that, was that there was a good God and there was a bad God. The good God was the Father. The good God was Bethus. The immaterial spiritual being and the bad God was the demiurge, the creator of the physical material world. And so the father was the good God. He wants nothing to do with this world that we live in. And the bad God, the demiurge who made this stinking, rotten, evil world that we live in full of stinking, rotten, evil people and trees and noses and big toes. He's the bad God. And so Gnosticism held to several dualisms. There's some blanks to fill in on your notes there. The first is that they held to theological, a theological dualism. There's a good God and there's a bad God. And the good God was spiritual and the bad God created this physical world. The second dualism that they held to was a cosmological dualism. There is a good world and there is a bad world. The good world was the spiritual world, the spiritual realm. The immaterial and the bad world was earth and dirt and bodies and armpits and noses. And so these were the glasses and the lens through which Gnostics saw the world. And so reality for the Gnostic was broken down into these two competing values, the physical world and the spiritual world. The Gnostics believed that the Demiurge, the bad god who created this world, was none other than Yahweh himself. If you've been here long enough to pray, you know that Yahweh is God's covenant name in the Hebrew language. And so they read the Old Testament and they said, that's the Demiurge there doing what he does. They believed Yahweh was the false god. He was this imposter. He was the one who created this world. He was responsible for creation. And so they would say, read Genesis 1 and 2. Open your Bibles. Read it. It's all Yahweh's fault. According to the Gnostics, Yahweh is the bad God. And the good God, the Father, well, he's unknowable. You can't know him. I'm sorry, you can't know him unless the Gnostics tell you about him. How convenient. And so by the time you finish drinking your venti pumpkin spice latte, because that's what you've been doing this whole time, the Gnostic says to you, if you believe in this bad God Yahweh, also known as the Demiurge, then you are to be pitied, Christian. 
How sad. Pastor Irenaeus has been lying to you. But I can tell you how to know the unknowable God, the Father, because I've got the secret knowledge. Remember, where does the term Gnosticism come from? The Greek word gnosis for knowledge. Here's what Irenaeus said about the Gnostics. He said, they claim that the inner spiritual man is redeemed through knowledge, that they possess the knowledge of the entire cosmos, and that this is the true redemption. And so what was this secret knowledge that Gnostics claimed to have? It was this. They said, some, some of us, some of us ugly, putrid human beings who are material beings, some of us have these seeds of the spiritual world trapped inside of our bodies. I told you it's going to get weird. We have these seeds trapped inside of our spiritual bodies. Uh, they, these seeds of light, they call them. It would say that's your spirit. Your spirit or your soul is this trapped seed of light. And according to the Gnostics, this trapped speed, uh, seed of light, not speed of light, this trapped seed of light in your physical body needs to be released, I guess, at the speed of light and to go to the spiritual world. And so the Gnostics held to another dualism, and that was an anthropological dualism. For the Gnostics, your body was bad, but your spirit or your soul was good. Remember, they're dualistic. Material world's bad, your body is bad, your fingernails are bad, nose hair is bad, body, 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 bad. And the good part of every human was the spirit, the seed of light which was trapped inside your bad body. Now, where in the world did Gnostics get their beliefs from? From the Bible. They loved the Bible. They had Awana programs at their church. They had Bible studies. They had fighter verses that they memorized. They were biblical scholars. They attended Bible-believing churches. The issue wasn't whether or not Gnostics were reading their Bibles. Because they were. They knew their Bibles. The issue was, what were they understanding the Bible to say? Listen, this is always the issue, isn't it? The issue for us is not, what, not whether we're reading the Bible but what are we understanding the Bible to say? So the Gnostics read their Bibles. They read the Old Testament, Isaiah 45, 5-7. says, I am the Lord, that's Yahweh, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And so the Gnostics would have had their Bible open to Isaiah 45, and they said, See, there's Yahweh, also known as the Demiurge, there's Yahweh raising his head in pride and arrogance and saying he's the Lord and he's trying to assert his authority over the Father or over Bethus. And so the Gnostics were Bible students. They read the Bible. The Gnostics show us that if you're creative enough, you can make the Bible sing any song you want to. If you're skillful enough, you can make the Bible prove whatever it is that you want to prove. Christians are the most creative people when it comes to interpreting the Bible. But we're also the most dangerous, aren't we? We can make it say what we want it to say. Who we will marry, if we can divorce, whatever. You pick. If you want something in your life, you can use the Bible to defend your position. So the Gnostics were creative and they used the Bible to say that everything physical was evil, your, your body was evil, and if you want to escape evil and pain and hurt, to get out of this physical world, then you need their secret knowledge. Escape your body. Just get out of your body, escape all of your agony, escape all of your pain. And so salvation for the Gnostic was actually escaping the body, escaping anything that was physical. But the Bible paints a very different picture about salvation, doesn't it? Salvation in Christianity is very what? Physical. There is a spiritual element, but the Gnostics denied the physical element of salvation. Their interpretation of the Bible led them to a theological and a cosmological, the world, and an anthropological dualism 
they embraced dualism. It was part of their uh, core values. And it's just easier that way, isn't it? Isn't it just easier to split things in two? One side is bad, one side is good. Republicans are good, Democrats are bad. That's just the easiest way to walk through life, isn't it? Just embrace dualism, split everything in two, and it's much easier. Okay? So white people are good, black people are bad. Black people are good, white people are bad. You see? Just segregate. Don't strive for reconciliation. Let's just split everybody apart. Adults are good. Children are bad. (laughs) Contemporary services are good. And traditional services are bad. Or traditional services are good. And contemporary services are bad. Hymns, good. Modern songs, no good. Cowboy church, good. Everybody looks the same. Regular church, bad. Small church, good. Mega church, bad. Clean-shaven pastor in a suit with tie, good. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? Pastor with messy hair and scruffy beard who dresses like Johnny Cash, bad. It's just easier to be dualistic like the Gnostics, isn't it? Just separate yourself from things that you think are bad and life is easier. Or you could be Christian. And you could strive by the Holy Spirit's power to fulfill Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, which says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so how do you walk worthy of the Lord? You be humble. You don't think your way is good and other people's ways are bad. You be gentle. You be patient. You bear with one another in love. And I'll open up to questions and comments here in just a minute. You walk worthily of the Lord when you're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Not the unity of a homeschooling church or the unity of a cowboy church or the unity of a white church or the unity of a contemporary modern church. See, the essence of Christianity, I mean, really where the rubber meets the road is bearing with one another, isn't it? It's the essence of marriage, isn't it? (laughs) Bearing with one another. It's the essence of of a church is learning to bear with one another, learning to let other people's preferences come first. That's hard, isn't it? So you may have a distinct church or a distinct church service, but you may very well be distinctly pagan in doing so. To be distinctly Christian is to bear with one another's preferences and not assert your own preference. So it's easier to be a Gnostic. It's easier to just flush down the drain everything you don't like and gather around you people that are just like you. It's easier to fellowship with people in a church who are just like you and form cliques and never invite someone else new into your group. It is easier. And I think the Apostle Paul would say it's pagan. It's not Christian. You can call it whatever you want. But Paul would say, please don't call it Christian. What is Christian? You mix and mingle with others who are different in a church. You don't form cliques to the exclusion of others. And what is Christian? This is my opinion now, okay? This is my opinion. What is Christian is you don't carve out churches based on certain cultures or interests, which we see that all the time, don't we? This is my opinion. People say we're a traditional church, we're a contemporary church, we're a cowboy church, we're a cool hip church. The Christian thing to do is to gather together all kinds of different people and bear with one another in love. What is Christian? You don't segregate because of skin color. So the church in America may not be full-blown Gnostic, but we have become a people who embrace aspects of dualism. Some things are good and some things are bad. Okay, questions or comments? I know we used to have two different kinds of services here, right? Okay. We had three different. Yeah, yeah, we did actually have three different kinds of services. Benji, how did they separate themselves from the physical? You said they just focused completely on the spiritual. So, like, what did they just? Not go out in nature or just some of them did crazy things like lived on top of poles trying to get away from it all. I mean, very there's varying degrees of what they would do, you know, to try to to do that to get away from the physical. I'm surprised they go to Starbucks. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, in the call of discipleship for them, I guess, it's like, I guess I've got to drink this pumpkin latte, which I really love, but I can't tell my master <laughs> friends that. You know, Carl. I guess I've had a misunderstanding of Gnosticism for a long time. I, I thought they embraced the sin issue as don't worry about it, just sin all you want, because the physical is bad. And, and the spiritual is the only thing that you have to worry about. They may, they may have. I don't know if anybody else is more well-read on that. They may have. Uh, usually, I think they're trying to, to downplay any, any physicality. You know, like oh. I said, there's stories of people climbing up on poles and trying to live. Okay. So. This sounds really insane. Like when people say they see Jesus in a tortilla. Yeah. I mean, this is like way out there. Yeah. But it, it is crazy. But like we talked about in the morning, sermon this morning, I mean, Christians can lap up anything because they're usually biblically illiterate. And someone comes in and kind of shows a few verses and they're like, oh, it must be. And so it was very prevalent. I mean, it was just everywhere. And, and, and we'll kind of talk about it more in a minute because you're still sitting across from that Gnostic at Starbucks, okay? And you finish drinking your venti pumpkin spice latte, and then he leans in a little closer. And this is, this is really wh- where they got people. He would say, do you like it when your body hurts? Well, of course you say no. And he's like, do you like it when you get migraines? No, I hate migraines. Do you like it sometimes that your body makes smelly noises? No. Do you like it when you forget to put on deodorant and you stink? No. And so... Well, what you need to do is to escape the body. Just get out of your flesh and your bones. And your body is the source of all your problems. And if you can just get out of your body, you'll be all right. And so let's meet here next week, and I'll give you the secret knowledge to escape this physical, material world. Now, that's very seductive, especially for those who are hurting physically, those dealing with chronic pain, those suffering physically. So it was good news to somebody because they thought... I can reach this place of knowledge that I can actually escape my body and escape the pain that I am feeling. Yeah, I got involved with the Jesus movement in the early 70s and so many different beliefs. And I really believed some of them because I went to church as a little girl, but I never had a good foundation. So, I mean, I was all over the place. And a lot of us were, and then a lot of people didn't really have I don't, I can't judge whether they had a true experience with Christ or not, but a lot of them fell away and never went back. And yeah. the others, uh, like me, they got into a good church and got a good foundation. Yeah, I mean, people just fall for stuff they do. I just Googled, I was talking with one of my kids last week, and I just Googled, we were talking about um, the man of lawlessness in Second Thessalonians <laughs> chapter 2, and I was just saying, look, there are many people that still claim to be Jesus and I just googled people who claim to be Jesus in 2019 and all these things there's like YouTube videos of a guy saying hey I'm Jesus you know mm-hmm. and it's amazing people will fall for anything they don't they're not grounded in scripture they don't have a church family and community they have elders shepherding them they're not aware of where uh, the church has been throughout history they're not aware of the creeds and councils which give us these parameters on hand back there. Yeah, I was just wondering, uh, would, would you classify a, people that uh, read their Bible and believe the Bible like uh, Gnostics did, right? According to they read the Bible and everything, but but they're uh, trying to pull the Old Testament law into it, like you're not completely doing everything right, you're not one of the chosen ones, if you're not doing the uh, following the Old Testament law and stuff, would that be I would say I would say those people I would say those people are in error, you know, of saying this is what you have to do because what do you have to do to be a Christian? Do you have to do the Old Testament law? No. No, you have to have faith in Christ, repent and trust in Christ. Now, you can do that as a Christian and then get caught up in that movement which says, "Oh, we got to become Jewish again." And I would say that those people are in error. And then at what point do they leave that area of error and then move into uh, heresy is, you know, I think so many people are quick to just call people heretics 
And I would say, maybe they're a Christian and they're just in error. And they need to be taught and they need to be grounded again in Scripture. So, Weren't orthodoxies doing the same thing? Yeah, they were doing the same things. Except because they're, they're devaluing the body. And we'll get to it there. They're Christological. They moved into Christological heresies. How they, understand, how they understood the incarnation. And therefore, they went from, you're not just in error. You are actually... In heresy, because what you're saying about Jesus and his humanity in the incarnation goes against Scripture. So, so the heart of the Gnostic message was just set my spirit free. And that's why they held to another dualism, which was a soteriological dualism. Soteriology, salvation, the words mean salvation. A soteriological, let me write it for you. So if I can spell it. Soteriological, soteriology, study of salvation. They had a soteriological dualism, and it was just escaping the body and escaping this world. And so the Gnostic gospel was this, dying and going to heaven. Let that sit for a minute. The Gnostic gospel was just about dying and going to heaven. It's simply going to heaven when you die. Just get out of this world so you can go to heaven. Listen, if our gospel message is merely about going to heaven when we die, where Jesus is right now, that's not good news, is it? The good news that Jesus preached and was handed down to us through the apostles and prophets in God's word was this, that Jesus lived and died for us. He rose from the grave Repent and trust in Him. And the good news is He'll begin transforming in you in, in this life. And then one day He will resurrect your body to be with Him in His eternal kingdom on the new earth forever. So if our gospel presentations are just about going to heaven when you die, then we're not sharing the whole gospel, are we? So we would say heaven right now is where Jesus is, wherever that is, the spiritual realm. That's heaven where He is right now. So dying and going to heaven is not the whole gospel, is it? Because are we going to stay in heaven wherever that is for eternity? No, we know in Revelation what heaven comes down to the new earth, right? And so the new earth, it will be heaven forever. So if we're just saying die and go to heaven, that's not the whole gospel, is it? Because salvation, we've talked about this before, is very physical, the Gnostic believed that your spirit was trapped in the stinky, ugly, evil, sinful body. And the whole goal was just get it out of the body. And so they believed that the real you was your spirit. And so the whole goal in Gnosticism was get out of your body and get to heaven. So we're probably more Gnostic and dualistic than we think, right? Because, and we've talked about this before, what happens when we attend funerals? We become very dualistic, don't we? And it often goes something like this. Brother Bob is not with us today. He is not here. He has left his body and he is with Jesus. I'm sorry, Brother Bob's still in that casket, isn't he? I can see him. I can touch him. You're telling me he's not there? He's kind of hard. <laughs> right? <laughs> that body in the casket is Brother Bob. And Jesus believes that so much that one day when the Father decides he's going to resurrect Brother Bob, he will raise Brother Bob's body one day just as Jesus was raised. What has happened is that death has torn Brother Bob apart, divided him up. And so when a Christian dies, yes, part of him, the spirit, his soul, goes to be with Jesus, but part of him is what? Left here, still in the ground. And so Bob is not fully saved until he is what? Resurrected. Okay? We're not fully saved until we're resurrected. What is Paul talking about in 2 Corinthians 5? He says, okay, remember we've talked about this before. When you die, your body goes into the grave or you're blown up with a landmine or you fall off a cruise ship and a shark eats you, whatever. Your body is gone. It's here. And what happens? Your spirit goes where? To be with Jesus in heaven, wherever he is, right? Okay? So part of you is up here, your spirit, the immaterial part of you. And then part of you is... Down here, waiting to be 
raised again from the dead, right? And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5. And Paul says, we don't want to stay in this disembodied state. We're happy to be there. But in that disembodied state with Jesus, we're still longing to what Paul? He says, we're longing to be further clothed. Meaning, we're longing to be reunited with our resurrected body to be with Jesus forever. So Paul says, we're not going to ultimately be satisfied up there. Will we be content and happy with Jesus? Yes, but there's a part of us that's saying, there's a part of me that's missing. (laughs) My ears, my toes. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we we don't want to stay in that disembodied state. We want to be Further clothed, he says. So we're not really fully saved until we are resurrected. And that's why our bodies are not merely an earth suit, as some Christians say. That's pagan and that's Gnostic. It's dualism. God made you with your hair and your fingernails and your teeth. And he gave, gave you tongues with taste buds so that you could enjoy things. Question? Okay, so if they believe that you need to leave your body to be with their father... And that's the only way the pain and suffering is going to go. It almost sounds like they, they're asking you to die. Yeah. Just and, die. Yeah, and they may have. I don't know. I haven't why read. Would that, why would, why would, <coughs> I guess, why would they? Wait. Yes. Yeah. Why not yeah. Yes, yourself? exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure there were some that were. I think the point is you got people, you're still trying to get this special knowledge, and at some point you get enough that maybe then you die. Maybe it takes 40 years. I don't know. Don may have read more on it. Well, the, one of the previous questions about the Gnosticism, uh, Epicureans thought everything physical was good, and the spiritual they really didn't. But uh, the second thing I have is uh, Scientology would kind of be like a present-day Gnosticism. Yeah, I haven't read much on that in a long time, but I had a friend growing up who was. But uh, I don't know. Um, it's, it's secret knowledge yeah. until you pay. To yeah, market. yeah. It, it's how they string you along, along. And then, I mean, obviously, they don't get this secret knowledge, and then all of a sudden it's like, psh, they're gone. What happened to Jimmy? He finally got the, the last page of the secret knowledge, and he's gone. This is how they're stringing you along, and, the, and they're really believing this, that this is going to happen. When you finally, I guess, get all of this, you're finally able to be free. Yeah, I, I can see the, the Yahweh and the Father thing. But the stuff in the middle, the Bithus and the A and the Soviet, I mean, is there a name? Who, who invented that stuff? Is there a person that came up with that? I, I'm sure someone did. Some guy said it at first and, and got a, a group around. I don't know who, actually. But it, you can read about it because in 1945, the Nag, they're called the Nag Hammadi texts, which are these documents that you can read from the 2nd and 3rd century written by the Gnostics. And you can see what they believed. And so you can actually read this stuff. Or you can read uh, Irenaeus and others who, who wrote against them. And they're quoting them and saying, they say this. And so... It was a real thing, just very weird, and and people fell for it, Barb. This almost seems like um, maybe the the roots of Hinduism and Buddhism as well, because there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, and like we talked about several weeks ago, sin is lazy. The devil's lazy. He he's got a few kind of things that he uses, and he's kind of like maybe I'll rehash. Gnosticism and tweak it a little and call it this and and get people to buy it. So, yeah. So salvation is very physical. Romans chapter eight. Paul says um, we're waiting uh, eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In this hope, we are saved. And Paul is saying uh, we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. So salvation isn't complete until we're resurrected and standing. On the new earth. Salvation is not just about going to heaven when you die. But that's probably what we've all heard our whole life, right? Salvation is about the coming together again of your spirit and your body again in resurrection. Marty, uh, Martin Marty describes Gnosticism in his book, A Short History of Christianity. He says, fusing a pagan ancestry with Christian deviations, it knew many of the words but little of the music of the song of Christian redemption. It knew enough. 
to be dangerous and yet pull Christians in. Yeah, I, I heard you just mention uh, Romans 8. Well, they might take passages like Romans 8, 5, where it says, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those of the Spirit set their minds on yeah. the things of the Spirit. That, that's yeah. a great example of how they probably would have interpreted that, and you'd have been like, well, it does make sense. Uh, and just a few verses mm-hmm. down, the same kind of thing. However, you are not of the flesh, you are in the Spirit, because you're Gnostic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See how I'm reinterpreting the Bible, right? Yeah. <laughs> one of our elders has beca- I've, I've converted one of our elders to Gnosticism. It took me 44 minutes to do. <laughs> it's true. That's a great example of how they would have a great verse that they probably would have done that. Yeah. 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 That, that was the last thing for many of them. I'll buy this Gnosticism thing, but you mean I've got to give up sourdough bread? <laughs> Um, so salvation is about the redemption of our bodies too, not just our soul or spirit. And so the Gnostic believe that Christ came, he came to reveal this special knowledge to the chosen ones so that their spirits could be set free. And so the Gnostic would say, set my spirit free that I might worship thee. Remember that song? The Gnostic would have loved that song. As if worship isn't physical and isn't tangible. As if worship is just about the spirit, right? Set my spirit free that I may worship thee. As if worship is just about what's in my heart. Tell me, how do you worship without your body? How do you raise your hands without your body? I'm raising my hands on the inside. (laughs) How do you sing without your body? Worship is all about using your body. Paul says this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your what? As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your what, worship? Present your bodies, which is spiritual worship. Sounds very physical. What's that? Where does Jesus fit into the Gnostic view? We're getting right to him. Yeah, two paragraphs away. Yeah, so... For, for uh, the Gnostic, uh, it's all about secret knowledge, no physicality. But Christianity, that was worship for them. Christianity has always been about human beings worshiping God with their bodies. And it will be that way forever, won't it? That's what eternity in heaven on the new earth will be like. All believers will be resurrected with their bodies worshiping God like we do now on Sunday morning. Nothing's going to change except our, we'll have resurrected bodies and we'll like every song, right? <laughs> and we won't be singing a song and all of a sudden we're thinking about, gosh, we're out of milk. I need to go to the grocery store today and get milk. You ever do that? You're singing away and all of a sudden you're like, we're out of milk. Right? There, we're going to worship God physically with our bodies and enjoy every minute of it. Uh, but for the Gnostics, Christ took on human flesh just to reveal the special knowledge. Now, notice I said Christ took on human flesh. Here's what the Gnostic believed and what Carl was asking about. They had two Christological views. You probably know what that means. They had two views of Jesus. Christological views of how Jesus came into the world, how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's what they would say. Because how can Jesus come if, if the physical is bad? How does Jesus come and reveal this special knowledge? Number one, they believed in what has been called adoptionism. This is where uh, Jesus came from heaven and or Christ came from heaven and he adopted this person named Jesus, the human being, and lived inside of him during the incarnation. So Christ, God, came upon a human being named Jesus. And so according to the Gnostic, Jesus was just a human born to Mary and Joseph. And Christ, the spiritual being, came from heaven to live inside Jesus, the human who was on earth. And so according to adoptionism, Christ deposited himself into the person of this human named Jesus. He came from heaven, lived in Jesus until the cross, and then Christ left Jesus right before the crucifixion. Now why? Why would Christ have to leave before Jesus the man died? So that God would not die. Yeah. Because there's can't experience any pain. No, nothing, no physical pain. 
So the spiritual being, Christ, can have nothing to do with this physical world, especially death and suffering. So he has to leave. It's kind of like there was an old Jack in the Box commercial, if you remember, where they were promoting their new pastrami grilled sandwich. And the commercial starts out with this woman who's showing Jack, you know, the guy with the big white head, uh, a test group of people who are trying out their new pastrami grilled sandwich, and he's watching these people taste test this. And then Jack looks over to the next room, and he says, what's happening in there? And the camera shows us this man who's being dipped, by his, hanging by his feet, being dipped upside down into this large vat of strawberry smoothies. And so he's covered and drenched, hanging upside down with this strawberry smoothie, and Jack says, what's going on there? And she says, oh, we're just hazing an intern. Okay. The Gnostic would have been sitting at home watching that TV with you and said, that's exactly what happened when Christ came. He came down from heaven and he adopted Jesus and was deposited into, dipped down into the man Jesus, just like that man was being dipped into that smoothie. The man did not become the smoothie, Right. He was just placed inside the smoothie. That's what Christ did. He so came he, down into the man Jesus and then he left. So who was actually crucified then? Uh, they would have just said the man Jesus was. I know it doesn't, it doesn't stand on all its legs, does it? Because then you're like, well, where's salvation? But again, salvation for them is not the cross. Salvation is getting the secret knowledge. So Jesus comes and gives this. He has to come inside. He has to adopt. Christ has to adopt the man Jesus dispense the secret knowledge that only they have, and then right before the crucifixion, he's got to get out of there because he can't experience suffering and death, and so you just have Jesus, this man, who just happened to die. So did he come down at baptism? They may, I'm not sure. They may have said it was at baptism. Probably, yeah. I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, it seems like they, they would have said probably that. They also had another uh, way to explain the incarnation. We've talked about it before in here. Docetism. Um, it, it comes from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or appear. And so uh, they believe that Jesus didn't walk in a material body because the body is bad. And so when you saw Jesus, he was just kind of like this phantom or this ghost that you saw. Um, kind of like on Scooby-Doo, right? There's always a phantom or a ghost floating around. And they would have been, if they were watching TV with you and Scooby-Doo was on, they'd say, hey, that's exactly, that's exactly what it was like. He was this phantom. He was this ghost. He only appeared to be physical. But like we've talked before, if you wanted to hug that Jesus, you would have just gone right through, right? You wanted to high-five him, you would have just missed. But notice with both Adoptionism and docetism. You are dealing with a dualism that will not let the Spirit of Christ have anything to do with humanity, with flesh and bone. Because the Gnostic said, Spirit is good and body is bad. And so Jesus could not have been human. But what does the Apostle John say in 1 John? How does he begin 1 John? We have, we have seen him. We have touched him with our hands we've looked upon him with our eyes John also says in chapter 4 of his letter beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the spirit of God every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God this is the spirit of the Antichrist. John is saying that you can know the Holy Spirit is at work in someone's life when they affirm the full humanity of Jesus. But John is also saying that you can tell the Antichrist when someone denies the full humanity of Jesus. And so the Antichrist is actually easy to spot, right? John tells us, you know, the Antichrist is only mentioned, the, the words Antichrist is only mentioned four times. Uh, in John's letters in 1 John, I think they're all in 1 John, right? The Antichrist is easy to spot. John says the Antichrist has come into the world, he's in the world, and many more will come. And so you can spot the devil as clear as daylight when you have someone saying that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. You spot the devil as clear as daylight when you have someone saying that Jesus did not become a human being. When you say Jesus 
Well, he must have been so spiritual. He didn't have stinky armpits. There's no way, right? That's how we kind of view Jesus, right? His breath always smelled good, right? That's the Antichrist. Was he fully human like us? Do humans wake up with morning breath? Did Jesus wake up with morning breath? Absolutely. To say that he didn't have those things, to say that he never needed to trim his fingernails, or to say he never burped or he never sneezed, that's Antichrist. So you can find Satan at work when you find anyone who minimizes the fleshiness of Jesus. Now, the difference between Jesus and us, obviously, is that he was without sin and he never sinned. So when someone stresses the deity of Jesus, that he is God, to the neglect of and the diminishing of his humanity, that's a clue that Satan is at work. Okay? When we try to highlight his deity, but downplay his humanity, John says that's the Antichrist at work. And that's what the Gnostics were doing, because you could label them as Antichrist. Anyone who stresses that Jesus is God and yet denies or diminishes his humanity, John is saying that person is to be equated with the demons of hell and Satan. That's strong, right? Okay. So we're not more spiritual if we emphasize the fact that Jesus is God over the fact that he is a human as well. You're not a, a better, more spiritual Christian if you stress his divinity. To be a Christian is to talk about the deity and the humanity of Jesus in the same sentence and in the exact same breath. And that's what we'll eventually get in a month or so as we start looking at the early church and how they dealt with the heretics who couldn't understand what it meant that Jesus became a human being and yet was also God. So the Gnostics stressed just the deity of Christ. And they said the secret knowledge was you have to know that the Father is the true God, Bethus, and the Demiurge is the false God. Salvation was just dying and going to heaven, no physical bodily resurrection. Even though they read passages on the resurrection, they would just say that's just a spiritual resurrection. That's your spirit finally coming alive and it's set free. The second thing that you had to know to be a Gnostic is that the real part of you is the spiritual part of you. You are not your body. Your body can just be thrown away. And so the Gnostic, even though I love uh, uh, this song and knew it growing up, this world is not my own. I'm just a passing through. You heard that? The Gnostic would have heard that and said, yes, exactly. But that's not true, is it? Okay. Christianity is not this world is not my own. I'm just a passing through. Christianity sings this world is God's. Belongs to him, right? And it's broken because of Adam's sin. But I'm not just passing through. I am here. And I expect to be resurrected on the newly restored earth that Jesus will renew one day. So this world is my own world. Just not this version of it. I'm waiting for Jesus to renew it and to make all things new. So part of us is passing through to Jesus if we die before he comes back. But part of us stays here, right? Waiting Resurrection. Salvation for the Gnostic is just going to heaven, but salvation for the Christian is all about recreation. It's about uh, Jesus setting right everything that sin set wrong. So we become new creatures in Christ, and that process has started, but that will not be finalized, our salvation, until our spirit and body unite again and our toes are standing on the new earth. And that is when our salvation will be fully and finally realized when you can walk on Pismo Beach and it will be glorious. And I suspect you can swim out into the ocean and put on some goggles and see a shark and the shark isn't going to eat you. And you come back on the beach and there's a T-Rex walking around because <laughs> God created this world and he's going to make everything new, Right? Okay, final questions or comments. A reminder, there's no class next week. Any final questions or comments? <coughs> this is the hope of Christianity. It's not just reserved for Easter. Uh, we are longing for resurrection. I don't want to get out of my body. Do I want to go be with Jesus, depart and be with Jesus, like Paul says in Philippians 1? Absolutely. Man, especially as I get older. Uh, but I'm not just wanting to get out of my body forever. What I really want 
is Jesus to resurrect me and make my body new so that I can know what it really means to be human. Because we don't really know what it means to be human because we're plagued by Adam's sin. Adam and Eve knew for however long before they sinned, they knew what it was to really be human. To really be human. And they ate, didn't they? Did they eat? I have good re- That tells me that I believe we're going to eat on the new earth. Eat wonderful things. Okay? We're, we're not fully human until we're standing on the new earth again. And so it's not about getting out of our body and going to be with Jesus. It's about Jesus making us alive. Listen, I know I bother some of you. I know I get on your nerves, but I promise you there's a better version of me coming one day. You might all line up to hang out with me. You, wait till you see resurrected Benji Magnus. You're going to be like, wow, that guy was really cool. I didn't know it. I think I'll still be wearing black. This is what I think, since we just have a couple more minutes left. I think whatever culture and whatever you like will be present, will be the dress of heaven. And so I fully expect to be in, in jeans and a t-shirt and boots the, uh, the rest of eternity. Uh, I, I fully believe that we'll see 17th and 18th century women with those big puffy dresses when they walk. They're like cinched up really tight because that's what they know. They might look at us and say, gosh, you're so tacky and casual with those jeans and t-shirts. Why don't you? I think we'll have that because why not? God is a creative God. I think we'll all express ourselves in whatever way. That's my opinion. Jonathan Edwards um, will wear a, a powdered wig. We'll wear a powdered wig. He'll be like, you guys are missing out. Yeah. You, could, you could wear a powdered wig and knickers. Uh, What's that? I figured if we were sinless, we wouldn't have any clothes like Adam and Eve originally. Yeah. Well, how can you and you guys? There's no Then we're going to recognize each other, so we're going to have our like uh, Orientals have slanted eyes, black, white, everything, um, everything. So we're and the physical layout of the uh, new earth will be oceans, oceans, mountains. Sun, moon, stars, everything that God created is going to be made new and be even better. It's going to be perfect. Be perfect. Yeah, perfect. Will we have transfer? I think we will. I I don't know how it works. I heard someone say that that passage that says that the leaves are for the healing of the nations. I heard them say that's just bacon. Uh, I don't know how it works. This is my opinion. I think that we will eat and have coffee and do these things and enjoy because God is not a killjoy. When I grew up, I thought all we're going to be doing is wearing these white robes and there's like a a fog machine and we're just going to sing forever. Just sing. All we're going to do is sing. And I thought, man, I mean, I love Jesus, but like, is that it? Just singing? Uh, I think we're going to serve him. We're going to work. We're going to, I think we're going to create things. I think he's going to let us create things and, and make things. And I think we're like, we want to do this today, Jesus. And he's like, okay, go build it. Maybe it'll take us six months to build some sort of ship that we can then fly to Mars. I don't know, but I don't think it's going to be boring. I'd rather have my version of heaven. If we get there and we're in a robe and all we do is sing, I'll be happy. But as I read the Bible and I look at the Garden of Eden, which was Eden comes from the Hebrew word pleasure, the Garden of Pleasure. And God says, here, have it all. Do whatever you want. There's just one tree you can't go to. I think God is not a cosmic killjoy. I think he's good. Now he wants us to enjoy him. How much more then? So... Anyway, if I'm wrong, that's okay. I'm married. I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> I, I am an expert in being wrong. And all the husbands said what? Amen. <laughs> See? I got yeah. one for you. Just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> man speaks and the woman's not there to hear it, it's still wrong. <laughs> I do know this. Well, no, I'm not going to say this. Maybe it's not I, all right, I will. Because okay. you love me. There's the passage in Revelation that says, it's proof that, that men... Don't kill me, ladies. It's proof that men will get to heaven before 
ladies do because it says, and then there was silence in heaven for half an hour. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but all the men would be like, this is, we don't have to talk. This is great. All right. I know you love me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can laugh. And thank you that we do laugh a lot here at this church, Lord, that we don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, thank you that you're a good, creative God. You've given us all these wonderful things in this world to enjoy. Um, thank you that the Gnostics were wrong and that Irenaeus and others like him wrote five volumes against this heresy and helped save uh, many Christians from falling into this error and into this heresy. But thank you for tri-tip and coffee and sunsets and spouses and children and grandchildren and dinosaurs and sharks and beaches. All that you've created, help us to glorify and enjoy you as we enjoy those things. And then we look forward to whatever you have in store for us for eternity. We know it's not going to be boring. Uh, we can't wait to be with you. We're like Paul. We desire to depart and be with you. But we're also like Paul. We know that when we do, we don't want to remain unclothed like that forever. We want to experience resurrection and truly know what it means to be a human being. And so give us grace to wait until that day for those, anyone here who's suffering with chronic pain. Lord, give us grace and bring healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. No class next week, and then we'll see you in two.